Welcome to IBM Developer. I'm your host, Luke Schantz. In this installment of our High Performance Computing and AI series, I have the pleasure to bring you a conversation with Dr. Casey Wang and Dr. Hudson Smith from Clemson University. They're engaged in some fascinating work at the intersection of cloud, AI, and network research. Hello, Dr. Wang, and hello, Dr. Smith. Hello. Hey, great to be here. Maybe before we dig into the meat of our conversation, uh, you could give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners. Um, so my name is Casey Wang. I'm a professor at Clemson University in electrical and computer engineering. My main area has been in networking and cloud computing systems. Uh, so in the past 10 years, I've been uh, involved in some very interesting uh, research with the National Science Foundation. And I think that is uh, the reason that we would like to talk about some of those, uh, which uh, led to um, some interesting collaboration relationship with uh, a broader community. Uh, and at the same time, at Clemson, we have a Watt Family Innovation Center, which is a new creation uh, for the campus. Uh, it has been really uh, engaged in exploring new ways of working with the campus community and bring in, enable new research and new uh, education learning opportunities. So that's uh, my um, second role that I'll bring in today and discuss some of our interesting stories. Thank you, Dr. Wang. Hey, and I'm Hudson Smith. I like to call myself a research data scientist. I work with Dr. Wang, Casey, leading a program where we apply artificial intelligence tools with a focus on IBM Watson to research projects at Clemson. So we work with researchers in all departments across campus to try to apply these methods to the work that we're doing. Uh, prior to this position, I was a research data science consultant at a small firm in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and prior to that, I received my PhD in physics from Ohio State University. Thank you. So I'm excited for this conversation because what I'm hearing, sort of not, not to give away the punchline, but what's really interesting is not only are y'all doing fascinating, you know, technical research and work, but you're, you're really dealing with the community and making it accessible and trying to make, you know, the network, the AI, the, the cloud, something that the whole community can access across the university. Yeah. So, um, the, that's where, uh, I, I think this whole experience, uh, grow out organically, uh, when we started to, uh, I can think uh, trace back 10 years ago. So in the past decade, I think uh, this community will definitely attest uh, how much technology advancement has occurred. Um, and um, since 2014, uh, that's where the story uh, today uh, will begin with. Um, so that, that's about the time when the whole community is all talking everything cloud. Um, every organization is trying to move their operations, move their infrastructure towards cloud. There's all kinds of different clouds being discussed about private cloud, public cloud, uh, and for different applications. So uh, as a researcher uh, building these kind of systems or researching about these kind of infrastructure, uh, we start to discuss like what is coming next uh, other than this uh, crazy adoption of the, the cloud methodology there seems to be some concern coming up. Um, so, and the only way to answer these kind of questions is really to bring in as much uh, voices as possible. 
so that's where we started to really focus on uh, engaged uh, approach for research. And then we, we started to build um, uh, an SF cloud, which is one, one of the first projects that we'll talk about. It's really a collective effort, which um, brings in not only a, a, a broad team of collaborators to build it, but also uh, the national community to use it. Uh, so once we started on that track, and then we started to see that, well, uh, the whole fascinating uh, advancements actually are driven by applications. The use-inspired concept uh, for artificial intelligence, for machine learning, these are all uh, important drivers. And then to get to uh, understand how that works, we need to get to an even broader community. Uh, so that's where the second effort we talked about, the, the Watson uh, AI program, uh, at the, at the Watt Innovation Center, that's about going out of our typical commu computing community and then reach out to all kinds of domain uh, areas uh, to, to understand how can we collaborate in enabling research, enabling education. Uh, and then finally, as we started to work on all these kind of projects with different communities, we realized that uh, a lot of that really builds on how people are interacting uh, with this new type of infrastructure. Cloud is, after 10 years, cloud is not just a data center. Cloud is everywhere. Uh, there's uh, hybrid cloud, there's edge cloud. Um, so we started to push that boundary on redefining how networks should support uh, this whole vast uh, landscape of cloud uh, in a distributed fashion. And that's where the third project, the NSF Fabric, that we're going to chat about. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the context, uh, how, how these all come in. And then uh, as you can see, it goes across advanced computing, it goes across uh, data and artificial intelligence, and also finally the advanced networking. Uh, they all share the common goal is to connect with people, connect with communities, understand what are the new um, uh, opportunities uh, that we can work together. And then finally, most importantly, uh, IBM is in every part of this. Um, so um, we actually, through these uh, different projects, have touched on different IBM technologies. We have uh, very uh, helpful IBM partners throughout the way helping us uh, to inject uh, technology into this, uh, this whole arena. Uh, I can just easily grab a few uh, major uh, IBM sectors, uh, so IBM Power, IBM Cloud, IBM Watson, uh, the OpenShift, uh, these are all examples of different projects, different technology that really work into our work. Interesting. So let's, let's dig a little deeper into the first one you mentioned, the, the Cloud Lab. Um, I, I hear you. It's like cloud. There was so much hype around it. And then it, it is. We're 10 years in, but it's, it's still we're kind of at the beginning of it, which is amazing, right? So how did the, what are the needs that, that arose in the the academic and research community, as you mentioned, not just at, at Clemson, but across the, the whole nation that brought uh, Cloud Lab to, into existence? Sure. Um, at the very beginning, as I said, 2014, uh, NSF just funded this effort. Um, the whole mindset is about how can we make cloud more reliable, uh, make it scalable. If you want more applications, use that on a very significant level, then you want it to always work. Uh, it become a critical uh, infrastructure for the society. 
Um, and also, you want to look at what is the highest end use cases. So at that time, the general feeling is cloud is great. It's very easy to uh, get a cloud, but it's not something that you can rely on for a critical uh, life or death applications. Um, so you don't want to run your automated car on the cloud. You don't want to run something that is very secure, uh, healthcare uh, on the cloud. Um, so the concern gets into how can you drive critical real-time applications? How can you drive secure applications? So that was the thinking at that time. So the whole cloud, uh, cloud lab uh, is, uh, basically a infrastructure that brings in all the state-of-the-art computing elements into building this next-generation data center. The researcher will get access to everything that we build. Uh, if they want to change, control something, they can do that so that they can explore the limits of cloud systems. Uh, and then uh, after 10 years, uh, there's uh, such a uh, immense uh, usage, uh, different applications come out, new research come out with Cloud Lab. Uh, but the most interesting thing is it evolves into a different understanding of cloud. So it's no longer uh, the three uh, data centers that we built at the very beginning. Uh, there are additional cloud concepts that are coming up. It's really about uh, uh, getting to the network and then connecting to other locations. Um, so CloudLash started to fed, uh, federate with uh, other newer, newer data centers. Uh, we have federated Cloud Lab in Europe, for example. Um, so uh, that uh, gradually shifted from uh, the original, I would not say shift, but rather expand um, to include things like Internet of Things, uh, things like um, uh, AI, machine learning applications, big data, and security remains a very important uh, uh, effort that is uh, security is implemented differently now. It's no longer about uh, the traditional sense of firewalls, uh, uh, about uh, network uh, protection. Uh, it's about real-time information. So how can you observe and monitor the system in real time? How can you launch a new application uh, that will do uh, smart things uh, on uh, controlling the security of the system? So that's how Cloud Lab uh, evolved. Uh, and then IBM uh, has a range of uh, technologies involved, uh, in included in the Cloud Lab infrastructure. So we have IBM Power 8 systems with FPGAs, GPUs. Um, on the platform. Uh, so a lot of researchers from uh, uh, many universities across the countries have been using that on a regular basis. Fantastic. And I'll put uh, links to Cloud Lab and these resources in the show notes if uh, folks are interested in, in learning more. Um, so you had mentioned the, the Watson and Watt program. Uh, maybe we could start off first with what is the, the Watt uh, Family Center and 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 how did this partnership or this collaboration come into existence? Sure. Um, so the Watt Family Innovation Center has been created uh, with a very generous donor uh, on campus. We all call him Dr. Watt. So Dr. Charles Watt, uh, he has uh, really uh, put in the resources and his vision uh, on imagining what is um, the next generation of education. You, you wanted students uh, all across the university to have a reason to come and aggregate, uh, to work, to meet with each other, and then generate new ideas. 
And you also wanted uh, all the students and faculty easily work with um, entities outside of the universities, with the industry, with the government, um, uh, with uh, the communities. So that's how the Innovation Center was originally conceived. Um, it was built as one of the newest buildings at that time, of course, with all the latest um, technologies for uh, audio video, for uh, computing, and then for um, uh, student activities. So uh, it has the emphasis of both the education and the research side. For the education, it's one of the most leveraged uh, uh, sort of teaching uh, building on campus. Uh, every semester, we run about 400 courses through that. Uh, undergraduate students of all disciplines will have some uh, courses that will be taught through the Watt Center. Uh, and on the research side, it's much more openly defined. So uh, we have space uh, for students and faculty to come in and, and do projects uh, to uh, brainstorm. But um, it also involves the human aspect of this uh, ecosystem. Is We have research associates uh, like uh, Hudson uh, will uh, really engage with um, this this pretty diverse uh, faculty and student uh, ecosystem on campus and help them explore what their possibilities are. If they have an idea, we help uh, bring them together and help them formulate projects uh, and, and go after them. And then in this particular IBM context, we bring in a lot of uh, the most wanted uh, IBM technology to the campus, help them uh, find ways uh, to easily connect their research or their teaching activities with the IBM resources. Fascinating. So uh, maybe, um, Hudson, maybe, um, I feel like I should call you Dr. Smith. Uh, Dr. No, Smith. No, 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 Hudson's fine. <laughs> um, so maybe you could mention here some of your, the work that you're doing with the Watson and Watt program and, and the, the type of, uh, where the rubber hits the road, how is this being yeah, used? Yeah. Yeah, so just to say a few remarks about what is Watson and the Watt and sort of what's the philosophy behind it. Um, what we did not want to do is just create some, some deep learning courses or something in a computer science department. Or we didn't just want to support research in computer science or electrical engineering departments or, or math departments. We wanted to develop a program that could serve education and research for students and researchers um, of all of all stripes. Um, really because this is where a lot of the greatest potential is for these applications. I mean, it's it's the it's the researcher, it's the agriculture researcher applying these methods that yields the biggest impact. Um, and that's just where we wanted to position ourselves. And so that's kind of the spirit of Watson and the Watt is trying to develop educational resources and opportunities for students in whatever discipline and um, also to support research collaborations and help incubate new research projects in all disciplines, what, whatever the backgrounds of the students or the researchers may be. Um, so on the education side, our, our real goal is to take students from whatever discipline and equip them to be competent thinkers and doers in the realm of machine learning and AI um, 
in a, in a relatively short amount of time without assuming much background. Um, so to accomplish this, and we're still learning, I wouldn't say we've arrived at the perfect formula, but we, I think we've, we've developed a pretty good process. Um, but we've developed a multi-tiered curriculum that's got a pretty low barrier to entry. So being able to meet the needs of students despite their discipline kind of necessitates that you, you have a low barrier to entry. But we've got lots of little ways that students who are want to go deeper can go deeper. Um, a great tool in, in our efforts so far is the IBM Cloud Services and Watson Services. So these are a great way for a student with little background to get a real sense for, well, what is, what is AI? What can you do with AI? I mean, a student from uh, psychology on day one can't code up a neural network, but they can train a machine vision model on IBM Cloud. And, and see what that does and understand its limitations and its benefits. Um, and then, remember I said we want to do, we want to educate students and we want to support research. So we, it, it seems maybe kind of foolhardy and it doesn't make sense on the surface, but we're trying to do both of these things at the same time. So what we do is we identify researchers who have real needs that could be served by some kind of machine learning or AI in their work. And then we take our students who are training in our program and we integrate them onto research teams to work with these researchers. So we've identified something like um, 15 or 16 projects. That's what we have ongoing right now um, in all different departments. And we've got teams of students, undergraduate students from all, um, all over campus working on these projects. Yeah, and that, that kind of uh, is how we scale, how we support our mission to support research at Clemson is by incorporating a bunch of undergraduate students, equipping them, and then kind of advising, consulting on these projects about what should our strategy be. This makes so much sense. It's really heartening to hear this because, you know, while, you know, obviously we need hardcore computer science and, and data science folks, as you mentioned, you, you need people who have the, the real subject domain expertise, the agriculturalists mm -hmm. or the, the social scientists, and they need to be empowered with these tools, uh, you know, whether they are doing it themselves or even if they're going to work on teams in the future, they need to have that technical literacy right. of here's what the tool set is, here's how I can work with a, a data scientist, you know, shoulder and shoulder and, and right. achieve these things. This is fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. And many of our students are never going to be, you know, ML AI researchers, and that's not really our goal. I mean, some of them can be, some of them will be, but um, we want them to just be competent thinkers so that they can contribute in this realm in their disciplines. Totally makes sense. So let's, um, and we can loop back and, and cover uh, and, and mention some of this again, but just to make sure we get it in here, let's all, let's bring up the fabric now because it, it it is a key piece, right? Like that, I think a lot of people overlook because it's not maybe as uh, you know, it's not as sexy as as the FPGA or the GPU. But the the network and how things are connected now, all the way from the edge to the cloud to the high performance computing to the you know the on prem to your laptop. Without those network connections and the bandwidth for the workloads, it, it's not going to happen. So, how how is this uh, NSF fabric project? Uh, fitting into the picture here? Sure. Um, so NSF Fabric is uh, a, a new creation for uh, the National Science Foundation, uh, a new type of infrastructure 
Uh, it's called the mid-scale research infrastructure. It basically means that it spans the national scale uh, and it's addressing one of um, the, the broad research challenge uh, needed uh, by the community to, to have um, a new kind of system to help them explore the research question. So in this case, um, uh, the NSF fabric really talks about how network can become programmable and to what extent. Uh, a lot of discussions um, started from uh, more than 10 years ago, uh, where, uh, again, the, the research community has always been thinking one step ahead. So as the internet is really taking uh, a, a craze of growing, um, the, it's all about bringing more applications to the network, making the network faster, uh, putting more data on the network. Um, so as that is going on, the community start to ask, what next then? Uh, is there a day where this growth can uh, hit a wall and cannot go beyond? Or is there a day where internet becomes so dependent uh, what if it fails at some day and then a big uh, swaths of our day-to-day uh, -day living uh, become affected? Um, so that's the mindset where we uh, started to discuss uh, with uh, NSF to see how, how do we support this kind of research. So before NSF Fabric, there was a project called NSF Genie. G-E-N-I stands for Global Environment for Network Innovations. So it is similar type of uh, community effort. Uh, the community got together and then proposed a national, national scale uh, of a uh, internet test bed. Um, uh, so we connected across the, uh, the, the country uh, with the map behind me, uh, similar to this one. So this one is the fabric map, but Genie had a similar national footprint. Uh, and then we build, uh, use that network to connect uh, campuses, university campuses across the country, and every campus acts almost like a small data center. Um, so you can allow researchers and students just go in, look at uh, a graphical interface, immediately you see the whole country's network in front of you, and then you can do a research project by selecting part of that network and then deciding how you want to look into some application, um, uh, studying how the traffic is generated, how the network is carrying them, what performance got affected, so, so on and so forth. Uh, that ran for 10 years, and then uh, the Genie project eventually retired, of course. Um, but then uh, the important realization is within the 10 years, as researchers are trying to build something that really uh, revisit the, how Internet works, eventually settles to really how things work at the edge of the Internet. Uh, because that's where things are more easily uh, programmable. Uh, you can go to every campuses, all the computers, you can run new software, but eventually the core of the network is really not easy to touch. Uh, we're dependent on uh, existing uh, instruments, uh, equipment uh, run by uh, the network operators, and, and that is not uh, easily opened up uh, for researchers to do experiments. So this time we... Uh, design fabric uh, head-on with that particular challenge. How do we start from day one, uh, enable everything possible within the core of the network uh, and make it programmable, make students and faculty accessible to those infrastructure? Um, so uh, the several uh, leading universities work with Department of Energy. 
they have a new net. Uh, they have a network called uh, Energy and Science Network (ESNet). Many community researchers are using that for uh, really high-end domain science uh, data transfer needs. Um, they happen to just update it uh, to the latest uh, version called ESNet six. They have a full clean slate of the backbone that can go up to one terabit per second nationwide. Um, and they work with us to allow us to put our equipment in and then we will do all the control ourselves. Um, so uh, you don't easily come across such an opportunity where you have a national uh, optical network that is right there and allow you to uh, design it from the grounds up. So that's really what net fabric is. And as I say, now we basically have been very accustomed to thinking about research not just about the infrastructure, but about who is going to use it. Um, so we go out uh, to identify major sectors of research communities that will be the primary user of this new system that we're building. So AIML uh, is one of the leading uh, uh, community that we're reaching out to, uh, understanding what are the high-end artificial intelligence projects that needed this kind of large distributed infrastructure at national scale or even international scale. Uh, how can we support their research? Can we use some of the methodologies uh, to directly build into the infrastructure so that the infrastructure itself becomes AI-informed or machine-learning-driven? Uh, machine um, and then we also look at other areas like security. Uh, that's our second most important areas. How do you get every component in the system uh, to be as secure as possible with different type of researchers coming in to do different uh, experiments uh, with the security risk and the protection measures? Um, the third area is uh, the cyber physical system or IOT. Um, so how, as people are building out uh, smart cities, uh, there are so many sensors uh, and equipments that are uh, always connected to the network. We depend on the data that we gather from those to control our lives, control our systems around us. Um, so that's uh, yet another uh, important area that we're looking at. For example, um, uh, disaster response that's really on our minds all the time now. One of the uh, interesting uh, driver uh, research in this project is how do you design a resilient uh, network infrastructure where you can go all the way from the core of the network, uh, the high-end data centers, to uh, the edge, uh, for example, in the coast. Uh, if we have sensors that is built right next to the uh, our uh, ocean front or along the rivers. Uh, and then when the hurricane uh, disaster hit, how can we assure all the data there is still operational, uh, accessible uh, to guide our responses? Uh, so that all needed a, a new thinking. And then we directly converted that new thinking to new requirements of the network that we're building. Um, so, I, at the very beginning, I mentioned that uh, the whole concept of cloud being morphed into all different forms of computing is essentially uh, a very uh, sort of uh, agile uh, cloud um, concept of computing where you deploy all kinds of operation and computing at different parts of the network. Uh, and that's really how Fabric thinks about designing 
uh, a, a new infrastructure where all the way to the edge uh, of the network, that is where people interact with the network, whether it's a wired network, a wireless network, or sensor networks, and all the way back into uh, the regional network, the national network, the international network, this whole end-to-end um, uh, landscape, we want to make sure that uh, researchers can easily deploy software solutions into uh, this infrastructure, control the different hardware components, and then uh, study new applications. Um, so, uh, for example, on the computing side, uh, we really emphasize on high-end computing uh, processors, GPUs, FPGAs, but then we are going to let researchers access them through containers. Um, and that really make that whole portable computing concept much more manageable. So with one container application, you can deploy it at the edge or in the core, um, uh, depending on your research needs. Um, and that eventually, I think, uh, really maps to uh, when we uh, work with our IBM stakeholders, uh, our IBM partners, uh, the day-to-day conversation is always about how to make computing much more portable um, and pervasive uh, across the whole ecosystem. How do you take uh, data from real applications, uh, connect a vehicle, uh, and then process it uh, right at the beginning and also in the back end with uh, very uh, interesting uh, artificial intelligence solutions. So that whole end-to-end concept is very important and then we're uh, sort of trying to address that with the fabric infrastructure that we're building. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll probably uh, say the last thing about fabric is uh, one thing to remember is it's uh, an anywhere programmable uh, network testbed. Um, so, uh, and then to program it, it's really driven by a reason behind it, and those reasons is where we want the community to come in and work with us. Um, uh, what are the applications that you're passionate about? Uh, what do you need uh, the network to help you envision uh, how your application work differently into the future? Um, so uh, your application may not just be running in one data center in the future. It may be running everywhere throughout this, uh, the whole uh, global fabric, and so... Uh, and we're here to work with them uh, to make it possible. That's so interesting. And I have a question. Uh, I was looking at some of the notes you had forwarded me, and I noticed a term in there, and I think it would be maybe interesting to explore this uh, for folks to understand when you say it's programmable. Uh, I, I noticed the term software-defined everything. And so in a, a traditional sort of uh, infrastructure system, right, you have dedicated hardware, right? Like that's a router, it does just that. This is, uh, you know, like a network, uh, a firewall, it does just that. And then I remember from, you know, coming from my, you know, infrastructure as a service days, you started to see, you know, like a software-defined router, like a Viata or something. Uh, And then, but now it seems like we're getting to a place where everything is built on a, a compute and can be reconfigured and updated and we're not kind of locked into sort of legacy systems. Is, th- is that the case? Yes, absolutely. So a uh, software-defined network is one element within that. And uh, that uh, movement started, uh, again, back more than a decade ago. Um, so uh, the concept of software-defined network really uh, challenged the existing networking industry um, to redesign your hardware boxes where uh, all the most complicated uh, 
control logic can instead be implemented as a software, and that software doesn't even have to run on that box. The software can run in a very capable computer in the data center, and then the software will control more than one boxes. Uh, it, you can control hundreds or thousands uh, of networking equipment with just one single application. That basically uh, gives the software immense knowledge about the network and then the full control capabilities of the whole network. Um, so you can quickly react to new application needs. You can quickly react to um, uh, so uh, dynamics that you observe in the network. Uh, given that information. Um, so uh, from the very beginning, the industry worked through a lot of challenges to make that possible. But today, if any uh, um, people that talks with the networking uh, vendors, everyone uh, have software-defined network in their portfolio. Um, so that's a given. Uh, so the discussion go beyond uh, how do you want to control uh, that network and are there other things you want to control? Um, so right now for uh, the internet, for example, uh, it's very important to understand how internet works through a series of exchanges that basically connect all the networks across the globe and then afford your traffic uh, the internet exchange now uh, are evolving into something called a software-defined internet exchange. Uh, so you can uh, run, control the network fabric in there, of course, uh, but you can also launch container applications. Uh, you can uh, do uh, high-end data uh, monitoring and then uh, real-time analysis of those data using machine learning algorithms to change how the network is uh, configured um, at the internet scale. Um, there's also uh, a lot of emphasis on um, uh, how can traffic be transformed, not just being changed in the way that they are forwarded. Uh, can they be processed uh, when they are being uh, passing through the network? Um, and that's where uh, Fabric has a lot of focus on uh, the programmable network uh, interface. Uh, one thing is called the P4. Uh, P4 is a new forms of uh, network programming uh, support. It's a hardware where you can program it uh, for real-time uh, changes to the traffic. Any part of your packets uh, can be changed uh, with a certain logic. Um, and then uh, coupling that with, uh, again, GPUs, FPGAs uh, uh, to help uh, sort of understand the traffic that is going through and then generate new actions that can immediately take action uh, on the fly. So that's kind of where the programmable concept come in with software-defined infrastructure. Thank you. Um, I have a question for, for Hudson. Uh, you had mentioned uh, there's about, what, 16 or 17 projects going on. Uh, maybe you could highlight one or give us an example of what, like, yeah, What's a project that's that's taking advantage of both of you know or, or the capabilities of the cloud lab and Watson and Watt and and potentially you know fabric as it develops? Um, so I can talk through sort of the range of infrastructure needs we have and maybe highlight a project here and there. Um, I'm not an infrastructure guy. I'm a consumer of infrastructure rather than a, a developer or a. a th um, a researcher of infrastructure. Um, and, you know, within Watson and the Watt, we're really focused on that, the, the needs of the particular projects. 
And within those contexts, a lot of different infrastructure needs do arise. Um, we've got some projects that are in the vein of uh, real-time stuff happening at the edge. Another project in that vein, we call it ColorNet. We have a, a project. This is not so much, um, doesn't have the centralized server component yet, but it's very much real-time where we're, we're taking video feeds and uh, maybe it's a target commercial or maybe it's a sports event and we're automatically color correcting the video feed content to make it brand spec. So our, of course, being at Clemson, we, we first tried this out with Clemson football um, footage and we're color correcting orange. Um, and that's, that's got very, you know, high performance at the edge demand. So you're, you're taking in video stream, high definition video streams, potentially at live sporting events. So we've, we've done this at a live, uh, uh, we did this at a bas Clemson basketball game. So you have to be able to, you know, correct the feed and not introduce much latency um, at all and, and not screw things up. So that certainly has some interesting uh, infrastructure demands. Yes, yeah, so we've got some projects involving large-scale data analysis where we're collecting data sources across the web and analyzing them for various reasons. We're working with um, a communications and economics professor to better understand interference in um, elections through social media and things like that in this kind of analysis. And that's, it's not as real-time, but it's a much larger scale of data and um, the application needs are very different. And, and then we've got some projects that are like integrated data applications. So we're working with um, a group that develops VR applications for assisting like training of uh, nurses. We're developing a, an, a natural dialogue interface for virtual patients so that uh, a nurse in training can can go in this virtual space and talk to a patient and that patient can respond in a natural fashion. So this is kind of a, a weird combination of a project that is, has really high demands in terms of real time. Like the, the conversation has to be quick, um, but it's also, you know, computationally expensive. We're using, we're using Watson cloud, just the public cloud to develop this virtual agent and, doing some special tricks to make sure the connection to the cloud is as low latency as possible and reducing the number of network hops and things like that. So yeah, that's the broad range of, um, that's a sort of a quick overview of the range of infrastructure needs that we have on the projects. Well, that, that was a great overview. And I, I really liked your qualifier too. And I think it speaks to the, uh, what KC was saying that you're building a system like this so that everybody doesn't have to be an expert about everything, right? We need it, making it accessible. Like, yes, we need to use these, uh, you know, sometimes exotic compute resource like an FPGA or a, you know, a GPU, but for someone to sit down and read the manual from, and start from square one and configure a whole environment and be an expert on that is unrealistic. If what they're trying to do is, you know, color correct, which I love that example, by the way, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> And I can imagine is quite challenging and has to be, uh, like you're saying, like latency is an issue and, you know, it's, uh, it's qualitative uh, results there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another dimension to that is it's the applications have particular needs. Um, 
but also the context in which you're developing for those applications have needs. And you now we're trying to teach these students and these researchers how to deploy ML and AI into their projects. And, you know, it's, it's already a big ask for them to just understand the concepts, the ML and AI concepts, but then to further ask them, oh, you need to set up uh, this uh, Kubernetes cluster and blah, blah, blah. It's just too much. So um, we really focus on, you know, I, we within the Watson and the Watt manage some of that on their behalf, but we really focus on sort of ways to simplify our application development. So let me ask you um, calls to action as far as uh, if folks are interested in learning more about uh, specifically, well, any, any three of these categories we discussed, uh, but I'm thinking mainly, too, if we have, you know, researchers on a, a, a national level, uh, where could they find out more and, and get access and, and be involved in, in this uh, program, especially with Cloud Lab? Sure. So um, actually, uh, it's all pretty straight, straightforward uh, with Cloud Lab. Everything, every interaction is through a cloud uh, portal. Um, so if you, if uh, folks just go to cloudlab.us, uh, the web URL, uh, you will see the system login, and then you will connect to the community and the infrastructure right there. Uh, similarly with uh, Fabric, um, so it's uh, also a web accessed uh, portal. So if, you, if people go to fabric-testbed.net or even just type in what is fabric.net, uh, you're going to get to that infrastructure <laughs> and get to connect with the community there. Uh, Watson in the Watt is uh, right now a Clemson program, uh, and we are collaborating with uh, some partner organizations to see how can we uh, scale up this kind of uh, projects. Um, but definitely through IBM's uh, community, we have been uh, talking to for with uh, researchers from other universities, for example, North Carolina. There's a lot of collaborators there. Um, so uh, we welcome everyone to reach out to us, uh, to myself, to Hudson, uh, to Watt Center. Uh, we can definitely uh, connect easily over there. So, uh, Dr. Wang, could you sort of tie all this together for me and, and put 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 all the pieces together so I can understand how these fit together in, in the real world? Sure. I think uh, for me, it's uh, all about one word is convergence. Uh, and NSF is really emphasizing convergent research as one of uh, the NSF 10 big ideas. Um, there's so much uh, research challenges today needed uh, people from all different disciplines with different interests to work together and solve it. And Artificial intelligence happened to be one such great example. Uh, for people to make real advances in AI, uh, uh, we need uh, new solutions and new understandings all the way from uh, the uh, use cases uh, where uh, the problems are identified and go into the algorithms where how data is processed and generating new insights are found. And then finally, we needed to understand how the infrastructure can work. Uh, so to bring these very three, very different three pockets of people and community together uh, to explore research um, together, but at the same time separately. Um, so in the past, the general consensus is uh, researchers will e carefully identify the scope of their research and focus on that. 
I think today it's about researchers going out of their way to understand their connections with other researchers and then coming back to focus on their research with the right inputs. So, so that's why I, I think the three stories we talked about today is fascinating to me personally. Uh, it really guided uh, my uh, career uh, activities. Uh, so I hope that uh, it's an interesting thought uh, for the audience here and then also working with the National Science Foundation and other agencies uh, to explore this possibility. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Wang. Uh, any closing thoughts, uh, Hudson? Yeah, I guess one conclusion on the Watson and the Watt side of things is really, for many people, the barrier to entry to this to access infrastructure and use this tooling needs to be very, very low. Um, and because you want to use this in situations where it's going to bring high impact, and precisely in those situations, a lot of the people are not equipped to make use of these tools. And certainly in an academic environment, these researchers just can't hire an infra person to come in and, and do all that for them usually. So um, the development of these high-level interfaces for infrastructure tools is a, a great value add to the community. That's fantastic. I totally agree. And it's exciting uh, for me to hear it because I feel that pain too uh, as a developer advocate. And then I'm trying to make something and it's like, oh man, I have to read all that documentation. And uh, yeah, so I totally uh, empathize and understand with the, the, the need for that type of uh, workflow if we're looking at you know getting these tools into the hands of people uh, quickly and, and for high impact. So thank you uh, both very much for your time today. This has been a fantastic and uh, enlightening conversation. And uh, hopefully we can uh, connect again and, and uh, hear more about your projects. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Luke.